welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I'm your host. And joining me this week on the show, we have the author of the Middle Grade series, The Chocolate Heart and Cat Incorrigible, and the brand new Raven Air series, Steph Burgess. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for, for joining us on this show. Um, really happy to have you here. Um, but this is your first time on the show, so let's get to know you a little bit better. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how you came about to being an author and a little bit about your journey to where you are now? Sure. Well, I was book obsessed from the time I was absolutely tiny. Uh, you're not going to be surprised to hear. And I, there's still a family story about the fact that when I was seven years old, I was sitting in the car with my mom and... I said, I found something I like even better than reading. And she didn't believe me. <laughs> and I said, writing, writing is even more fun. And I had somehow just worked out that some people wrote for a living, that that could be an actual job. And I said, I'm going to be a writer. And I really never changed my dream from then. I knew from very early on, because I had very practical parents, that most people can't make a living as a writer full time. So I, you know, I did all sorts of um, planning to have day jobs and so on. So I didn't actually go to college to study uh, creative writing. I studied music history and performance. And I um, what was my la- I went to a lot of different day jobs along the way. My last day job, I was working for an opera company up in Leeds. Uh, but I was always, always writing on the side. And back in 2001, which is when I was in my mid-20s, I applied to a really famous workshop for um, science fiction and fantasy writers in America. It's called the Clarion West Science Fiction and Fantasy Workshop. And it's a six-week, really intensive program where every there it's a competitive process to get in. My year, there were 17 students who managed to get in. And every week, each of us had to write one short story a week and then critique everybody else's story. <laughs> it was intense, especially in a roundtable situation. There's a different famous author or editor as our teacher every week. But first, even before we found out what the teacher thought of a story, we'd go around and have 17 different people rip it to shreds. It was a trial by fire, but it taught me so much. It was the most formative experience of my writing career. It also got me into the writing community. I managed to make friends that way and actually have other people who thought it was reasonable to (laughs) write stories, not just something other people did somewhere. And I also, in a, another very life-changing moment, uh, one of the other students turned out to be this guy from Bristol, Patrick Sampire. <laughs> so at that point, you can tell from my accent, I didn't grow up in the UK. <laughs> but I had been living in Pittsburgh where I was doing a master's degree in music history. But after I went to Clarion West, and met Patrick, six weeks later, I started applying for PhD programs in the UK. <laughs> And I've been here ever since 2002. I was in Leeds for the first seven years and I've been in Wales ever since. So from then on, it was really just a matter of writing and writing and submitting and being rejected. And uh, the really, I have to say, 
when people will ask, oh, so how many novels did you write before the first you sold? I don't know, because <laughs> I wrote my first novel when I was 13. And I mean, it's no surprise it was not ready to sell. <laughs> but it was practice and they were all practice. And I wrote at least a novel a year for pretty much every year after that until I was 31 when I sold my first trilogy, the Cat Incorrigible trilogy. <laughs> so it's been a very long process, but it was all sort of sparked by seven-year-old me figuring out this is an actual job that I could try for in my wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah, I think there's someone's out there said that it takes like 100,000 hours to get good at something. So obviously you translate that into words, it's sort of 100,000 pages, as it were, to suddenly you know, get your, <laughs> your, your skills up. Um, you've, uh, I've seen in some other sort of biographies and stuff that you've written in the past that it was really while you were up sort of in Yorkshire, the, uh, the Cat and mm-hmm. Cultural series came about because it was the, the Regency period of England. There was something maybe you fell in love with. Where, where did the actual idea for Cat and her story come from though? Well, that's really tricky. It was a combination of all sorts of stuff, I think, because, well, here's where I have to apologize to my PhD supervisor on the off chance he ever hears this because uh, I loved working in the Brotherton Library at the University of Leeds, but I spent an awful lot of time there doing things that weren't related to my PhD. And one of those things was I read a bunch of 18th century diaries and uh, letters of 18th century women writers. And I'd always loved Jane Austen novels, but I didn't know much about her as a person until those years. And um, somehow Jane Austen's family situation where she was in a sort of genteel family that had very little money (laughs) and her father was a vicar who took in students Uh, a lot of those elements ended up fusing in my mind with these Regency romances that I had always devoured by Georgette Heyer and so on where you've got these fabulous heroines having romantic adventures but there's always like a snarky little sister in the background like making rude comments every so often and they're like oh get out you know (laughs) but I thought I want to write about that snarky little sister and I want I gave her a lot of Jane Austen's uh, family history (laughs) but then I stuck magic in it and Kat's older sisters are having romantic kind of romantic comedy misadventures but Kat is meanwhile rolling her eyes at them and having magical adventures of her own while occasionally stepping in to sort out her older sisters when they really clearly need help yeah it's that lovely sort of blend of sort of sort of historical sort of romances and sort of the the fantastical magic of a more sort of modern sort of fantasy twist uh it was really quite interesting to read as well because obviously it spans quite a lot as she moves then to, to bath in the next book and bath is a magical city if, if you've ever seen bath or been to bath it, it really does feel is. like could have some magic (laughs) but um one thing i did actually want to point out obviously these were published in the early 2000s but they're having a bit of a revival um so piccadilly press had recently picked them up to relaunch them i mean how exciting has it been that Mm -hmm. because i've I've spoken to a couple authors who obviously exciting when a book launches what's it like when a book relaunches it feels like a miracle honestly it's a second chance for books it's um and it's so affirming you know there's the first two, they were officially the 10-year anniversary editions of the first two books, The Most Improper Magic and A Tangled Magic. The third one's coming out again this autumn, um, A Reckless Magic. And it's wonderful because as an author, you have to learn to prepare yourself. 
you know, most books will not stay on the shelf forever, you know, et cetera. You get your shot and then they move away and people forget to move on. So the fact that they're getting re-released in these beautiful new editions with new covers by Hannah Peck and lovely chapter patterns, I mean, it just feels like such a gift. And I mean, I'm going to admit, there was a tiny bit of sadness this past year because I was so excited about these 10 year anniversary editions. And then, of course, they both came out. The first two books both came out during lockdowns. So, you know, it it is what it is. Yeah, (laughs) I'm happy they're still there. They're in a lot of shops and I hope people will still get the chance to discover them. Yeah, and sort of discovering them and sort of fall in love with them as a lot of people fell in love with the next series, uh, middle grade series, which was the, the Dragon with Chocolate Heart. This really sort of did encapsulate a, a lot of people's ideas because, of course, instantly you sort of you think of dragons and you think high fantasy, you think knights or, you know, sort of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Instead, you take your dragon, this magnificently fierce creature, and through a, a set of circumstances and magic and wonder, <laughs> she ends up working. Is it Aventurine? Is that how you pronounce yep. it? Aventurine ends up working in a chocolatiers. Yep. <laughs> I mean, where did that idea come from? Yeah, I mean, apart from the love of chocolate, where did the <laughs> idea come from? Because actually, the sort of there is a magic in making chocolate itself. Yeah, there is. I, I agree. Well, you know, when I'm between books, I'll often. Um, brainstorm lots of different possibilities for what to write next and I often do these things called love lists where I'll write out a list of like just every thought that occurs to my head of things that I love in stories or in real life so you know I might like I don't know highwaymen (laughs) which is something that ended up in cat incorrigible books or etc and on one of those love lists there was dragons which I've always loved dragons and there was chocolate (laughs) you know I am addicted to dark chocolate and somehow those two things melded together when I thought, well, what would happen if you put dragons and chocolate together? <laughs> and it also sort of got melded in with some of my past experiences because although I was in a very dragony mood, having moved to Wales a few years earlier, <laughs> you know, where there's, there's so much dragon symbolism everywhere when you walk down the streets in our town. Uh, I was also, I spent two years living in Vienna when I was younger. And so the town of uh, Drakenburg is actually structured. I mapped it out <laughs> just like Vienna with the same kind of system of districts and so on. And I, you know, the Royal Palace there is based on the Hofburg Palace where I spent a lot of time in Vienna. So it was sort of a mix of all sorts of places I've loved and things I love and getting to play with all of them together. Yeah, that is actually pretty cool. And I, I think I read somewhere that uh, the... Vienna also comes out in a lot of, because you also write a lot of adult fiction as well. And I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. adult fiction you've written has got that sort of, um, I guess it's the, uh, I guess it's that sort of 19th century, the the pomp and ceremony, the sort of Jane Austen style flair. <laughs> uh, so obviously that's come back around uh, and found its way into the middle grade uh, sort of storytelling. And again, another series that was very popular and has actually sort of come about. And with that work through Bloomsbury has brought us now to the present, which is Raven Air. Now, I was very lucky that the people actually at Bloomsbury were able to send me an advanced copy for me to sink my teeth into. And it's been an absolute charm of magic and whimsy for me to sort of like, I don't know, I was just, it, it hit me at the right time. I wanted something magical and sort of fantasy, but not like, like high fantasy, like over the top fantasy, but something I could just, and the, the, the triplets, I just fell in love with the whole world and the sort of system. So it was 
just what I needed at the right time. But where did Cordelia's story, and I guess the, the story of, of all the triplets, come into play? Where was that from? You mentioned that, you know, the Vienna's obviously influenced a lot about uh, Dragon with a Chocolate Heart. Where's Raven Air come from? Well, I'm, first of all, thank you so much for saying that about it, because very few people have read the book so far. So I'm really drinking in <laughs> the reassurance. But ooh, this one is another one that it really comes from where I live in Wales now, because part of how I was talked into moving to Wales in the first place back in 2009 was the castles. I am an, I'm obsessed with castles. I love castles. Um, and one of our favorite castles is and I love that I can say one of our favorite castles, you know, since I grew up in Michigan in America, this is not something I imagined as a kid, but one of our favorite local castles is Raglan Castle. And I have visited it so many times. Um, it was the first castle either of my kids ever went to. Um, and in combination with that local knowledge, when I started reading up, because I'm a history geek and I just like picking up interesting looking history books, I started reading up on the Wars of the Roses. I was absolutely staggered when I got in a very early chapter to this point where it was talking about the young Henry VII, you know, who became Henry VII when he was a kid and he was imprisoned away from the rest of his family um, wasn't allowed to have any contact with his mother or anything like that. And he was imprisoned at Raglan Castle. And there was this one time when it, it mentioned him standing on the ramparts of Raglan Castle, watching the battle outside as his family was fighting his guardian or you know, jailer's <laughs> forces, trying to get to him. And he was standing there watching it. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, first of all, the dramatic intensity. But this is going to sound silly, but I thought I've been there. That's real. <laughs> and because of course history is real, but when you've actually stood there, it, it becomes present to you in a way that it wouldn't have. And from that moment, I became really obsessed actually with that particular period of history. And I started reading more and more of it. And I would, one of the things that horrified me was the waste of it. Um, I mean, war is always terrible and so many lives are always lost, but there's usually some claim to a higher purpose, whether or not we would agree with the purpose now, mm. you know, people will tell themselves they're doing it for, you know, this wonderful reason. And Wars of the Roses was really just who got to be in charge. It was just these couple of families fighting over who got the throne and the money and the power and all these people being killed again and again. And, and it was horrible. And it, you know, it took place. <laughs> in a place that I knew well, and it really got to me. And I started thinking, and I, one of the things I also noticed in those history books was how often the supposed rightful heir on whichever side was actually a kid. And they certainly weren't in charge of the strategy. They were just being shuffled along as pawns by the adults in their family who wanted their family in charge, no matter what that happens to the children involved. So it was just all turning over inside my head and I thought god I if I was the parent of someone in there what would I do to get them free and that's where I, and that's where it really all came from because Cordelia's mother was a, a parent who was desperate to get her children out of that vicious cycle you know and keep them from being used 
as heirs and then killed. <laughs> and, and in my magical world of Corvan, she was lucky enough to have magical power to help this. So, you know, she ran away to an enchanted forest and put up barriers. And these kids have ended up raised in this enchanted tower, you know, in the middle of a forest, never seen anyone outside their family, having no idea that the rest of the kingdom outside is going through just cycles of bloodshed and trauma that they're very protected from until the beginning of the book when the outside world kind of arrives because soldiers finally break through and they want the rightful heir and Cordelia's mother refuses to say which of the children is the rightful heir and no one knows because the triplets and that was you know so it, it all really spiraled out from there and also I didn't even realize this until after I finished the book but when I was a kid the first Shakespeare play I ever saw was As You Like It, and my parents took me to, uh, to see it, um, actually at the Canadian version of the Stratford Festival, Stratford oh. in Canada. <laughs> and I was so young, I didn't understand a lot of it at the time, but obviously it made a really big impression because after I'd written the book, I was like, oh wait, <laughs> that was about Royal Duke who goes and he hides in a forest in the forest of, you know, et cetera. Lots of different influences were coming together. I mean, history sometimes is is more fictional than fiction. Sometimes, if you really go and read true. it, um, but I do love the the core concept, which is around the fact is uh, Cordelia, uh, Giles, and Rosalind don't know which of the three of them are the rightful heir, and it's sort of that is a big mystery actually that underweaves uh, a lot of it. But Cordelia's real sort of struggles is actually just trying to understand that she's coming to an age now and being bound to this castle and she is sort of like mm-hmm. restless and she wants to see the outside world and it doesn't help the fact that she can transform into pretty much any animal so she could be a bird and just fly away at a moment's notice uh where was it obviously with this historical influence and the way that sort of twisted around where did the sort of spirit animal and the shifting into animals aspect come from where was was that like with the highwaymen in sort of like uh, cat incorrigible where you're like i also like this and i'm going to find a way to include it or was it something else i love shape-shifting stories and i would i wouldn't personally refer to any of it as spirit animals because where i come from in america you know spirit animals are very specific term with native religious connotations, which I don't share. Um, But the shape shifting is something that I've always been fascinated about. And it's something that I'd become even more um, directly drawn into since I had children, because one of our standard games is if you could turn into any animal in the world today, what would it be? (laughs) And actually, it's funny, because I've been then on like festival stages where you take questions from the audience. And that's just so often the question for the kids ask just randomly you know if you could turn into any animal what would you be <laughs> and I always have an answer ready because I'm trained by my kids <laughs> you know we always have that conversation um so you know yeah for what it's worth I would usually be a wolf but sometimes a cat <laughs> etc um so I'd always loved the concept of shape-shifting and with this book giving Cordelia that tension was so interesting because she's someone who is as you said she's so bound to the castle her mother says don't leave the castle you cannot leave her mother's formed this one very carefully protected safe space in the world for her children but here's cordelia whose shape is completely changeable and she has these wings inside her she can let out anytime and she's being asked to keep staying in one place and that's such an impossible expectation for her and 
I loved getting to play throughout the book with all the different shapes she can turn into. I did so much research. You wouldn't believe just how many hours I spent with like, you know, how many eyes do flies really have or moths or, you know, how, <laughs> how exactly do they see the world? You know, what can they, can they smell? Can they hear? How do they, you know, et cetera. And that was really fun to do as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's if you get to sort of expand yourself into a way that you're very passionate about, it comes out in the writing. So I think that's why when we get uh, every new shape we sort of get, we get this very beautiful description. And uh, it also sort of affects Cordelia in different ways. You know, she does act slightly differently, you know, where she goes into the bear form, lumbering along as a bear. (laughs) When she's a horse, she feels a little bit more free. She's a bit more spirited, you know, in that sort of horse manner. Absolutely. Um, which is really beautifully well done as well. And uh, it's it's just something that I, I feel, especially coming out this summer, it's going to be something that uh, you could definitely read. It's going to be perfect if you are a kid or a big kid uh, who is, it's like perfect for like sitting down uh, maybe in the garden or on the beach or on holiday. I think that's where it's going to be beautifully just allow you a bit of escapism uh, while you're sort of like soaking up some sun rays. So uh, yes, I believe it's coming out in August uh, this year. Is that correct? Right. That's right, 5th of August. 5th of August, so there you go. Very exciting to get your hands on a copy of this from Bloomsbury, uh, Raven Air. But uh, moving forward, looking ahead at August and beyond, I believe I've seen somewhere that we might be getting Raven Air 2, a Raven Throne. Is this this happening? That's right. I'm actually in the middle of edits for that right now. And that is going to be um, actually the story of Rosalind and Giles. (laughs) Uh, because Cordelia got all the focus in book one and as the mother of multiple children and as someone with brothers herself I can tell you you know siblings need equality oh that's very exciting so obviously we don't want to give too much away uh, from book one so into book two but uh interesting that yeah it's following them very excited to see how the end of that book will then transfer into the next one so (laughs) me having had a greedy sneak peek I'm very excited so hopefully you guys should be too but yeah is that sort of if we're editing now we're looking sort of 2022 ish then for that yes I I would love to tell you it'll come out exactly a year it'll really depend how long I take with the edits and this year of all years you know Uh, everything is moving slower than we prefer (laughs) but we'll see knock on wood Knock onward, indeed. Well, with that's already something we can look forward to. Is there anything else that you have in the pipeline at all, Steph? Something you've uh, been keeping under your hat and you're eager to tell us about? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think I have anything else I can talk about in public <sighs> yet. <laughs> I am playing with various different ideas for the next middle grade, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for confirmation on which one it's going to be. Fair enough. Yes, we, we know the, the world of pub, publishing has its fair share of secrets. So we, we know that that code word there. So we shall keep mum. Um, but yeah, that is fantastic. Like I said, uh, guys, uh, Raven Air has come out this year. It has, you've probably seen some of the artwork as well online. It had a beautiful uh, cover done for it. Fantastic. Especially the, the UK edition here. Absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. It's got a story just as beautiful to match. So something to look out for. August the 5th coming from Bloomsbury. Um, but as we are rapidly approaching towards the end of this interview, I don't want to go anywhere until we get into a competition. Yes, we've talked about Ravenair enough. So why don't we give you, one of you lucky listeners, the chance of winning a copy? Um, if you are interested in getting your hands on a copy of Ravenair, all you have to do is enter our quick competition. How do you do that? Let me tell you. So head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club 
all one long lovely word and you're going to go there and you're going to use the hashtag ravenaircomp that's also one long lovely word uh, we'll put that up in the description box below but we've just been talking about shape-shifting so <laughs> we just literally had the question there so that is today's quiz question is what animal if you could any animal you could transform into which animal would you shapeshift into uh, steph i believe you already said you'd be a cat or a wolf mm -hmm, that's right i think today i'm gonna go for cat because my cat has been loving the sunshine yes i i feel i feel cat is probably a strong one for me i do like the idea of being a bird though and just being able to just take off mm. and i just need to stretch my wings because you know we all get in that especially currently with lockdown i think a lot of us want to go and Absolutely. spread our wings somewhere <laughs> I feel but, that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just some of our ideas. Let us know which animal you would shapeshift into. And you could be in a chance of winning a copy of Raven Air. How does that sound, Steph? I think that sounds great. Sounds pretty <laughs> good. Now, before you do disappear, Steph, you've been a fantastic guest, but I don't want to uh, leave the listeners without a chance of knowing where they can find out more about you and your books uh, is there a uh, social media content or a website they could go to to find out more absolutely if you go to my website www.stephanieburgess.com uh, then you can find not only lists of all of my books and short stories you can find excerpts from every book lots of short stories are free <laughs> and if you go to twitter i'm at stephanie burgess <laughs> so it's easy to find me there fan Fantastic. And of course, you guys can find us also on Twitter at Big Kids Book Club. Obviously, you're going to go online there anyway to enter the competition, but you can also find more exciting stuff about us, our content and the other sort of programs we do. We have a midweek review that comes out every single Wednesday talking about awesome books that you should be interested in and adding to your TBR, as well as more amazing author interviews. So all I have left today is to thank Steph for coming on to the show and for you, the lovely listeners, for sticking around. And until next time, all I have to say is to take care, to stay safe, but most important, to keep on reading. <laughs>